Today's scripture reading is from the passage Exodus 5, 1 through 6, 13. Out of thankfulness to God for giving us his word, I will conclude the reading with, this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to respond with, thanks be to God. Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. They answered, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, or else he may strike us with plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous and you would stop them from their labor. That day, Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people, as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making the bricks, as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. This is why they are crying out, let us go sacrifice to our Lord. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them out from his land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by the name, by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out, of, out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arms and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to a place that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the Israelites go from his land. But Moses said in, but, but Moses said in the Lord's presence, if the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. 
So if you haven't opened your Bibles, uh, please do so to Exodus chapter 5. And, and here's where I want to start with this morning. I want us to acknowledge something about life. Suffering is incredibly disorienting. Like suffering has this way of causing us confusion and to doubt. Suffering has this way of shaking and even shattering expectations. And when that happens, we begin to question everything we thought was true. The values and the morals that we have, we begin to wonder, are those things actually true? Should I continue to hold on to them? The the explanations and answers that we once thought were solid now seem to be less so. And if you are a person of faith, questions like this can begin to pop into your mind. God, where are you? God, what's going on? Where is your grace and your mercy and your power? Why does it seem like your promises don't apply to me? Suffering truly disorients us. But what if it's ultimately doing something else? So we are at the point in the story of Exodus that in many ways we have been waiting for. After 400 years of Israel being enslaved to Egypt, God powerfully appeared to Moses. He told Moses, hey, I heard the cry of my people. I'm going to rescue them, and I'm sending you to go lead them out of Egypt. And Moses heads back with his brother Aaron, and together they go before Pharaoh. Here's this moment of confrontation that the story has been leading up to. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, let my people go so that they may journey into the wilderness and hold a festival for me. Now, quick little side note here. And those of you that have been with us over the past few weeks, you you might have noticed that uh, in a a number of passages, this statement, one, uh, let them go so they can hold a a festival to me in the wilderness, or let them go on a three-day journey so they can uh, worship me and make sacrifices to me, that might sound a little bit less than let my people go forever. It sounds a little bit like Moses and Aaron are just asking for a three-day weekend, right? But this is actually an ancient Middle Eastern negotiation tactic. This is a traditional way to negotiate. In our culture, when you negotiate, you ask for more in order to get what you want and make it sound more reasonable. So you start big in order to work down. Well, in the ancient Middle East, you started small and worked your way up. And so you would ask in a more humble way, and once that was granted, you'd ask for a little bit more and ask for a little bit more and work your way up. So understand, Pharaoh knew what Moses and Aaron were doing. He knew they were not asking for a three-day weekend. He knew they were asking to be let go permanently, and with all the arrogance and pride and defiance, the most powerful man in the world is free to exercise, he says this, who's Yahweh? I don't know any Yahweh. Hey, hey, you know Yahweh? No, you know Yahweh? No, no one knows Yahweh. Why should we listen to him? And by the way, no, request denied. Well, thinking that maybe Pharaoh just needed some clarity about who Yahweh was, Moses and Aaron respond, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So before they said Israel, that's the way that God's people referred to themselves. When they say Hebrews, that's an ethnic term that they use to identify themselves to other people. And so Moses and Aaron are basically like, hey, if there's any question about who Yahweh is, Pharaoh, he's our God. That's who he is. So please, let us go so we can sacrifice to him in the wilderness. Otherwise, he might hit us 
with sword and famine. Now, God never told this to Moses. And so again, this is a subtle way that Aaron and Moses are negotiating. That they are veiling a threat. Hey, please let us go because we need to be obedient to Yahweh. Because when you're not obedient to Yahweh, there are consequences. Hint, hint, Pharaoh. But Pharaoh wasn't confused about who Yahweh was. He didn't need more clarity. And he wasn't going to be cowed by a threat. Pharaoh did what Pharaoh wanted to do. He answered to no one but himself. And so he responds, Moses, Aaron, what are you doing? Get back to work. You're keeping the people from the work. There's so many people. There's so much work to be done. You think you're going to come in here and tell me to let them go. Hey, this has all been fun and amusing, but again, request denied. Thanks for coming in. See ya. The door has been slammed shut. The moment of confrontation turned out to be a big, fat fail, at least in the eyes of Aaron and Moses. And, and you know, God had told them Pharaoh wasn't going to listen. He set that expectation, made that very clear up front. But you have to believe that in the midst of all the excitement, Moses deciding to come back to Egypt and then seeing his brother for the first time in 40 years and together going to the elders of Israel and the people of Israel, showing them the signs, seeing them to respond in faith, bowing low in worshiping. They were riding on a spiritual high. And they were riding that wave right into the throne room of Pharaoh, only for it to come crashing down, to have the door slammed shut in the face. That suffering of slavery, still here. That hope for rescue and redemption, not today. You can imagine that was disorienting and crushing for them. And if only that was the, the issue. If only it went any further. In a classic, I'll teach you to mess with me move, Pharaoh puts the screws to Israel. Stop telling or stop getting straw for them. They have to go get their own straw, but do not reduce the amount of bricks that they have to make per day. Don't reduce the requirements. Make the work more difficult. They're slacking. They got too much time on their hands. They got so much time on their hands because they're thinking about being released and going and worshiping their God in the wilderness. Well, we'll put an end to that. Well, we'll make you work them so hard they won't have time to listen and entertain these notions of freedom. And as this workload began to pile up on Israel, they began to be unable to meet their quota. And in response, the Egyptian slave masters begin to beat them and oppress them even more. And so wondering what is going on, they, they go to Pharaoh and they say, Pharaoh, hey, why are you beating us? It's not our fault. Your, your people are no longer giving us straw, and so we can't keep our quota. It's not our fault the work isn't getting done. It's your people. Pharaoh looks at them and he goes, you're a bunch of slackers. You've got too much time on your hands. This is why you are entertaining notions of freedom and going into the wilderness to worship your God. You got all this time on your hands to dream about freedom. Well, I'm going to put an end to that quick, fast, and in a hurry. Get to work. Pharaoh didn't just slam the door in their face. He retaliated against them for even entertaining the idea. 
And as the Israelite foreman left Pharaoh, they see Moses and Aaron waiting for him. They walk up to him and go, I hope God sees this and judges you. You've made us stink in the eyes of the Egyptians. You've made things worse. I mean, imagine going from this great place of hope to despair. From believing the message of Moses and Aaron to turning on the very ones that God sent to give this promise of rescue. Is this not how suffering disorients us? Isn't this how suffering messes with us? I mean, even Moses was disoriented. Lord, you told me to go before Pharaoh in your name and tell him to let my people go. And that was a colossal failure. He didn't just not let him go, he made it worse. God, why are you bringing trouble to this people? Why do you make these declarations of rescue and redemption? Why do you make these promises only to make things worse and life more difficult? God, why me? Why did you send me? Why is Pharaoh laughing in my face and Israel rejecting me? The two things I was most afraid of, and here we are. I wonder, can you relate to Israel and Pharaoh? Can you relate to suffering being disorienting to such a degree you become disillusioned, disappointed, lose hope, fall into despair? Do you ever ask the questions, why me, God? Why are you letting me suffer? Why is it when I try to be obedient to you, life gets more difficult? Why is it when I try to walk out faith and repentance and love and serve other people, all I get is more hardship and pain and trial? Have you ever been so disoriented by your suffering where you actually start to turn on the people who give you gospel promises? Have you ever been in this place where it's like, hey, stop telling me about God's goodness and power. Can't you see I'm suffering? Stop talking to me about hope. It only makes it hurt more. Have you ever been that disoriented by your suffering? See, here's what happens, friends. Suffering can cause us to believe that God isn't good. It can actually cause us to believe that suffering deters God's power, that it frustrates it, slows it down, holds it back. This is where Moses and Aaron and Israel were on the brink. Can you relate? Can you relate? And it's at this low point, this low point, when Moses is reeling from the pain of failure and rejection, and the chains of slavery are tightening around Egypt or Israel, that God steps in and he reorients Moses to what is true. There's this scene in the movie V for Vendetta, and it's not really a good movie, so I don't recommend it. But there's a couple scenes that are actually, actually pretty good. And there's this one scene towards the end where uh, the main character, V, who's this vigilante, is surrounded by these corrupt government agents. 
And they, they open fire on him. They all just like unload their guns on him trying to kill him. And they, they think that they have killed him. He's kind of fall, he kind of falls back. And then he stands up and underneath his mask, he goes, my turn. God steps forward right when Pharaoh has flexed his power. Pharaoh has shown his might has brought more oppression and more hardship to Israel in order to put the screws to them, to to crush any hope, to show I am powerful and Yahweh is not. And in the midst of that suffering, God says, my turn. Moses, now you are going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he's going to let you go. Not only that, because of a strong hand, he's actually going to kick you out. Moses, Pharaoh showed you his power. Now you're going to see mine. Pharaoh says he doesn't know who Yahweh is. Oh, he will. Pharaoh flexed his might, but it's not going to stop me from rescuing my people. In fact, through Pharaoh's flex, you're going to see my power all the more clearly. See, in their suffering, Moses Aaron, Israel, thought that God's goodness had been dulled and God's power had been deterred or delayed or frustrated or held back. And God steps forward to Moses and he says, no, Moses, listen to me. Hear me. Let me remind you of something. I am Yahweh. I am the sovereign creator and Lord and ruler over all things. I am the eternal, all-powerful, self-sufficient one. To your fathers, I revealed myself as God Almighty. I made a covenant with them as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But guess what I didn't do? I didn't reveal the fullness of my name and the full meaning of my name. But I have to you. And the glory and the goodness and the power of my name is going to shine all the brighter as I rescue you and Israel. Yes, Moses. Yes, Israel. You are suffering. I hear you. I've heard the cry of my people. I am the faithful covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who rescues his people. Pharaoh thinks he's powerful. The, the, the circumstances and the suffering seem powerful, but now you will see how much greater I am. And so Moses, go back to Israel and you tell them, you remind them, I am Yahweh and I am going to rescue you out of slavery. I'm gonna bring you out of Egypt and I am going to give you that land that I promised your fathers centuries ago. And through the glory and the goodness and my power, you will see the glory and goodness and my power as I rescue you and I redeem you with a strong hand and mighty acts of judgment. Remind them, I will be their God. They will be my people. And through all of this, through all of this suffering, all of this struggle, all of this trial, you will know I am Yahweh. I am the faithful covenant-keeping God I am the one who makes promises and keeps them. You will know that. And I've signed my name to this. And by the glory and goodness and power of who I am, I'm going to do it. Take it back to them. Right in the midst of their pain and their suffering, 
God doubles down on his promises. He speaks more pointed words to them. He reminds them who he is. Reminds them of his glory and his power and his goodness. And he makes something very clear. And this is the point of this passage this morning that we need to grab a hold of. Suffering never deters God's goodness and power. Suffering amplifies God's goodness and power. Suffering never dulls the goodness of God. Suffering never deters or frustrates. It doesn't slow down or hold back the power of God. No, in and through suffering, God's goodness and God's power shine all the brighter. Now, friends, this is a tough but beautiful truth. Tough. Because, look, suffering is real. Pain, it's real. The effect suffering has, the, the disorienting power it has, the confusion it causes, all of that is real. And, and this truth does not minimize that. Look, Scripture is absolutely honest about suffering and pain. It's sometimes more honest than we are. And so the truth that suffering does not deter God's power but amplifies God's goodness and power doesn't turn the volume down on the pain. It doesn't turn the volume down on the fact that it disorients us. No, in many ways, it calls us to be more honest about that so we get past ourselves. But here's our problem. Here's our problem. We want it all or nothing. Like, we want the goodness and the power of God to mean take away all my suffering right now. We want the goodness and power of God in our lives to mean unending success and victory. And understand this. On one level, there's nothing wrong with wanting to alleviate suffering. We should want to. Like as God's people, we are people of mercy and justice. We don't want to see people suffer. We don't want to go through suffering ourselves. It's a sign that there's something broken and wrong in our world. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to alleviate suffering in our own lives and in our world. But can we be honest about something? Our sin twists this. Our sin twists this good desire. And so what ends up happening is we don't like suffering because we want comfort. We don't like suffering because we want control. We don't like suffering because we don't like to be weak and vulnerable. We don't like to be out of control. Or we don't like to be exposed. Boy, we love our control. And suffering, it exposes our, self, our, our inability to be self-sufficient. It disorders our self-sufficiency. Suffering disorders our nice, comfortable, middle-class lives that we try to build for ourselves, and we don't like that. So whether it's the pain of just honest questions and honest struggle, or whether it's the sin in our hearts that craves comfort and control, this truth is tough. It challenges us. To rest in this truth is not easy. But friends, listen. Listen. When we do, it's beautiful. 
Because when we grab hold of this truth and we rest in it, and the power of God that is at work in us and through us is nothing short of beautiful. Nothing short of beautiful. Understand this. Scripture makes it abundantly clear. God is not indifferent to our suffering. He's not indifferent. He's not distant or disconnected from it. Like, what is the central drama of Exodus? God stepping in to rescue and redeem his people out of slavery, out of suffering. What is the central drama of the entirety of Scripture? God sending Jesus Christ to rescue us from sin and suffering and evil and oppression and sickness and disease and death. God is not indifferent to suffering. How do we know? Because he spared no expense to save us. But, listen, this is what we need to grasp. He is about much, much more than just alleviating suffering. What does God say in Exodus 6, 7 about the results of his redemption of Israel? What is going to happen? Israel is going to know he is the Lord. Israel is going to know him through his power to rescue and redeem. What does, or sorry, back up. Almost got ahead of myself there. Nine times in the book of Exodus, nine times we read that the reason God does what he does, the way he does it, is so that either Israel or Egypt would know he is the Lord. That that they would know he is God. What does Jesus say in John 17, 3, that he's come to do? Bring eternal life. And what is eternal life? that we would know God the Father and God the Son. What is God up to in all of this rescuing and redemption? That we would know him. Greater than alleviating suffering is us knowing God, us seeing the glory and power of God, that that would be displayed throughout the entire world, throughout the entire earth. Yes, God alleviates suffering because he's good, but more than that, He rescues and redeems so that people would know him and experience his power in their lives. Look, if God, all God did was alleviate your suffering and my suffering, that would be a great gift, but it wouldn't be the greatest. It would bring a measure of comfort and a measure of hope and a measure of peace, but it would only be about that deep. God is about something far more because there is no greater comfort There's no greater joy. There's no greater peace. There's no greater freedom. There's no greater life than knowing God, than having a relationship with God, to be rescued and redeemed so that you are in intimate relationship with him and his power is at work in you and through you. God is about giving us the best thing. That's himself. All the blessings that come with it are great, but even more than that, God does what he does so that we would know him. And you know how he does this? By putting his power on display. And he puts his power on display most when he does the most counterintuitive thing. 
when he takes the very evil and suffering meant to wreck and ruin us, and he takes it and he turns it around and uses it for our victory. Pharaoh, in his pride, he was trying to crush the people of Israel, crush their hope, oppress them even further, teach them, don't you dare put your trust in the name of Yahweh. So he uses wickedness and oppression to try to destroy Israel. But in that flex, God shows just how weak Pharaoh is. Just how weak Pharaoh and Egypt and the gods of Egypt are. Because in that flex, God turns it around and he shows his power and his glory. And in that, he rescues and redeems Israel and he brings them out of slavery so that they may know him. Here's what God is about. Here's what God does through all that suffering that Pharaoh tries to inflict. The end result of it is slaves turned into sons and daughters of God. Wickedness, wicked powers, whether they be wicked religious leaders or wicked political leaders or those who are out for their own selfish gains, whether wicked, evil spiritual forces, they all turn their focus on Jesus. As they opposed him, as they mocked him, as they beat him, and as they killed him. They thought they had won. They thought they had shut down this wannabe Messiah. They thought they had crushed the hopes of the disciples of Jesus. But in that wickedness, in that evil, God takes it. And in his sovereign power, in his sovereign plan, you you know, the wicked men who killed Jesus were pawns in a sovereign God's hand. And he sovereignly works his plan of redemption and turns the very evil inflicted on the Son of God against itself. On the cross, when wicked men nailed the Son of God, God goes, my turn. And on the cross, Jesus takes the penalty for all of our sin, takes the full judgment for your sin and mine, that we could experience forgiveness and freedom for sin. On the cross, God goes, my turn, as Jesus defeats every evil ruler in power, both human and spiritual. This is what God is about. The greatest suffering and the greatest evilness turned into the greatest victory. This is what God is about, turning those who are slaves to sin and selfishness and pride and shame, those who have been afflicted by sickness and wickedness and death into sons and daughters who live in freedom and peace and joy and comfort and holiness and righteousness, who know God, who are intimately connected with God, who've been rescued and redeemed and have the hope that one day when Jesus comes back, he return, he's going to renew and restore all things. That is what God is about in the midst of all of this suffering. The greatest evil, the greatest wickedness turned into the greatest victory. Understand, like, suffering is hard. Like, it... And I know so many of you in this room, you are in places of deep pain. Some of you are facing down some things that are just cutting down to the deepest parts of your soul. You are suffering at the core of who you are. So can I encourage you? Can I encourage you in this? Cry out to God. 
just like Moses, just like Israel, just like in the Psalms, just like the prophet Jeremiah, just like over and over and over in Scripture, we see cry out to God. He wants to hear you. He does hear you. Friends, our first move in the midst of our suffering is always to cry out to our Father, cry out to a God who hears and is powerful and he is good. Are you crying out to him? Is that your first move in the midst of your pain? Because when you cry out to him, when you go to him in your suffering and your pain, here's what he does. He doubles down on his promises to you. He speaks pointed words to you. And he reminds you, hey, let me tell you something. Let me remind you that you may remember this. I am Yahweh. I am the sovereign creator and Lord and ruler over all things. I am the faithful covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. Yes, I see your suffering. Yes, I know your suffering. I am not distant or indifferent to it. In fact, I have spared no expense to rescue you. I sent my son that he may die in order to set you free from the affliction of sin and set you free from the affliction of evil and oppression and death. I've sent my son that you may know me and be transformed by his power. We cry out to God in hope because of the death and resurrection of Christ. We have victory. Cry out to the Lord. And as you cry out to the Lord, take hold of those promises. Take hold of the gospel truths about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as you do that, walk in faith and obedience. Don't listen to the lie of comfort and control. Friend, don't be fearful and cowed by the enemy's threats. When life gets more difficult, when oppression begins to, it seems like it begins to amp up, the more you seek to be obedient, I'll cry out to the Lord, keep walking in faith and obedience. Listen, we, we sell ourselves so short when we just chase after comfort and control. If that's all we live for, we are living for far less than we are intended to live for. Do you know you were made to know God? You were made to have a relationship, to be transformed by his grace and his mercy and his power, to be made into the image of something beautiful, the image of Jesus Christ. Do you know you were made to join God on his rescue mission, to love and to serve and sacrifice for others that they may know Christ? God has so much more for you. Suffering doesn't change that. Oppression and affliction don't change that. In fact, it is in those very places of suffering and affliction and difficulty that the power of God is going to be shown all the more in your life. Let me prove it to you. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, who knew more about suffering than probably most of us, talks about this thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was, but it was something that was oppressing him and making life difficult for him. And he prayed to the Lord over and over and over to remove it, and God didn't. But here's what Jesus told him. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. Hey, Paul, 
My power that's at work in your life, it grows. It matures. It is strengthened. It transforms you in the midst of your suffering. This led Paul to go, so I boast in my suffering. Anybody ever done that before? I boasted in my suffering. I don't even really know what that means, to be honest. <laughs> but what Paul came to understand is that in his suffering, the power of God was not deterred and held back. It was unleashed. And this is not Paul being emo. This is Paul walking in strength, recognizing that the power of God was going to work in him and through him in remarkable ways through suffering. In Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about this as well. He again says, we, boast in, we boast in our afflictions. Why? Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And guess what? This hope will not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Through suffering, God is working deep, deep, character in you with the goal of producing deep deep hope in you and this hope will not disappoint you because of the love of God you're going to experience through the Holy Spirit. Paul isn't the only one who talks about this in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 6 he, he says that affliction and suffering are like a refining fire just as fire will refine gold and and pull out the impurities. Suffering refines our faith to pull out the impurities so it is more pure. And then the Apostle James, he also talks about this. He, he says to consider it a great joy whenever you experience various trials because the testing of your faith produces endurance. And we are to let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Do you know God is out for your faith to grow, to be strengthened. God isn't trying to break you and destroy your faith. I'm sure there's moments where you've, you've felt that way. I'm sure there are times where you're like, God, what are you doing? It feels like you are just trying to grind me into powder and just completely wreck and ruin the shred of faith that I have. It can feel that way. But what God's word tells us the passage in Exodus reminds us is no, in that suffering, God's power is going to be put on display in such a way it's going to strengthen your faith. He's going to purify your faith. He's going to make your faith into something beautiful. This doesn't negate the difficulty. It doesn't negate the pain. But what it shows is that your suffering is about much more than just disorienting you. That what suffering is doing in your life is just not to cause confusion and frustrate you. No, it's birthing something beautiful in you through the power of God. God's power is amplified. It's more clearly seen. It's more perfectly put on display. It works more fully in our lives through difficulty in suffering. So friends, I know, I know you're suffering. I know this is not easy. But when we cry out to God, when we allow the power of God to work in our lives, we're going to see him and know him in ways 
that we never have. The depth of our faith is going to be greater. And so let us keep walking in obedience. Let us keep crying out to God. Some suffering is going to come in the form of things like sickness and disease and weakness and sin. Just the the pains of life, the trials of life, the circumstances of life that, that happen to us living in a fallen, broken world. Some suffering is going to come through oppression and affliction that comes through people who hate our God and hate our faith. Like, look, I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom. I'm not trying to rile up a bunch of fear here and animosity. But but if you look at the way our culture's moving, it it appears that it's going to get worse and worse, and we're going to face more and more affliction, more and more oppression, more and more opposition to our faith. And listen, when that happens, we need not be deterred. We need not be afraid. We need not believe that somehow our God's power is being held back or frustrated or delayed or slowed down. No, I guarantee you, even in this opposition, even in persecution, the power of God is going to be put on display. You can bank on it. We have tremendous hope. Let me say this last thing by way of application. As we walk with people who are suffering, as we seek to come alongside them and hold out gospel promises and minister to them as Moses went to Israel. Look, that's hard work. That in many ways can be a form of suffering. It requires a lot of patience. Loving other people who are hurting is difficult, and at times they are going to doubt the promises of God. At times they may even turn on you and hate you for reminding of them the gospel. But here's what we need to do. One, let's not be Job's friends. Meaning, let's not try to sit there and analyze what's going on in a person's life, trying to go, okay, well, you know, you're suffering because of this and God's up to this. And and you try to discern what the sovereign God of the universe is doing in their life and you have no idea. You might be able to see like one thing and God's doing like 10,000 things. So let's not be that. Let's go where scripture leads us. And we can say, look, I don't know all the reasons God's doing what he's doing, but here's what we can hold on to. His power is perfected in our weakness. That when we face affliction, it's going to build endurance, and endurance is going to build proven character, and it's going to build hope in us, and that hope isn't going to disappoint you because of the love of God. Friend, that God is refining your faith, and yes, this is painful and this is hard, but on the other side, he's making you beautiful. Like we can hold that out for people. We can point to the victory that Jesus has won over sin and evil and suffering and death. And we can just hold people to that and help them and encourage them in that and love them in that and pray for them and cry with them. Like we don't have to solve their problems and figure out everything for them. We point them to the God who is their Savior. Can we do that for one another? And yeah, even if they're mad at us, even if they're not with it, we love We be patient. We depend upon God ourselves. Oh, what would that do to this community if that's what we did for one another? Here's the good news, friends. One day, it'll all be over. Like, it's not always going to be like this. One day when Jesus returns, sin, suffering, oppression, evil, disease, death will be wiped away forever. 
He will renew and restore his creation. He will renew and restore those who belong to him. That is our hope. That's where we're headed. That is guaranteed. Jesus got out of the tomb and that sealed the deal. Our God is a faithful covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. He signed his name to it and by the glory and the power of who he is, he will make it happen. That's our hope, church. But we're not there yet. But even as we wait for that day, we still have the power of God at work in our lives. The power of God that is not deterred by suffering. The goodness and the power of God that are all the more clearly seen. The goodness and power of God that is amplified through our suffering. I don't like suffering. I don't like to suffer. I know you don't. But we need not be destroyed or crushed or deterred by it. We need not back away from faithful obedience because of it. No, let us take hold of this promise that God's power and his goodness are amplified through suffering and let's walk in faithful obedience because our God is that good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.